Welcome to the ninth episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now, on to the episode with your hosts, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guests, Chelsea Asher and Mahir Manda. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. We're here today with Meher Munda and Chelsea Asher, co-founders and hosts of an angry reading series here in Harlem, like nine blocks from us, and we're going tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Woo-hoo. Yep. This hour's brand of fuckery is brought to you by Orange Cello from Sergio and Susanna de la fucking Pava. <laughs> so let's so cheers. Much. Thank you. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Okay, so you guys introduce yourselves now and uh, and then tell me what you were going to say about me, Meher. Hi, yeah. my name is Meher and I'm, I do some writing <laughs> and I just wanted to thank you because I feel like podcast is very on brand for me as a person. I keep waking up every day and thinking why I don't have one and this is the mm. first podcast I've ever been invited on, which, wow. you know. <laughs> I'm so excited that this is where it will all begin. So I could be launching Me. a fledgling career. Yeah, we're witnessing something really special. Yeah, Fledg- I have I have my feet under my butt. Oh yeah, yeah. me too. I'm like a I mean, yogi they're always master. There, though. <laughs> I love how we said fledgling career. It's not even that. It's homeless at this point. <laughs> it's, homeless. it's a homeless career. Okay, great. That's my hair. <laughs> I'm also a writer. <laughs> a poet. Oh, yeah. And a journalist. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And a teacher. Marge from Minneapolis. Thank you for that. (laughs) All right, Chelsea. So, yeah, I'm Chelsea Asher. I am a writer, largely of things that make people really uncomfortable, and you can't really read it anywhere yet. Mostly on my Google Docs, so unless you hack me, that's about it. (laughs) Like, literally hack you? Yeah, hack me. Is this Please, an invitation? Invita- oh, absolutely. I welcome it. My, my password's pretty easy, actually. I've had the same one since I was 12, so. Chelsea Asher, 12. Yeah, literally. Just Chelsea Asher backwards, um, Wait, on AIM? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mine was, uh, mine was Griffey8383. Oh, my username was... Yeah. Oh, God, my username Oh, that was your password, like, right? Yeah. Mine, mine was Red1234. Oh, <laughs> That was yeah. my password. Oh, me too. No. <laughs> mine was cooler. That was it? It was no. cooler? No, it was... <laughs> No, Rolling Stones. Wow. What? Without any numbers? Uh, yeah, underscore nine six double seven. Oh, don't like fucking try and act like you didn't have numbers on the end. Then, I, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyways, so you were on AIM once. I you was. had a password, mm-hmm. and you write. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. Yeah. I think we're done. <laughs> I'm also editor in chief of Lumina Literary yeah. Journal at Sarah Lawrence College, and I'm an educator here around the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you a teaching artist still? Are you still doing the teaching artist yes, circuit? Yes, I am. I am doing the teaching artist circuit. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, working with fifth graders. It's a fun circuit. For, for Community Board Project. Mm-hmm. That's our lovely producer's organization. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I also work in Astoria with a group of really awesome high school students writing narrative essays, largely about food and hip-hop at the moment so that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. that's like a whole bio i said i'm a writer (laughs) that's your fault i mean you know (laughs) well i mean once you get once you drop the aim password it's like 
True, exactly. Like I'm like, really, you could know everything you need to know in mm-hmm. about two seconds. I mean, my username was awful, though, on AIM, which probably, because you know, which, it, it, well, okay, so here's the thing. It was lovey dovey girl 26. And the other thing about mm, that is, though, that's is rough. that yeah. I literally made, like, I thought of the whole thing with the numbers, like, the whole time. 26? Yeah, and I, I just thought it sounded really nice. Like, mm. I was like, lovey dovey girl 26. I don't know, I felt like it was like a, a whole persona. I was like, yeah, like, this is, this is the person I want to be. It was, like, aspirational. Because, you know, when you used to go on, like, AIM and, like, wait for your crush to come online? Yeah. I was, wasn't on AIM. That I don't was know the what vibe. that is. Oh, well, yeah. Was okay, it just not in India? Or, like, were you, you just not on it? No, That's what it was in India. Was AIM MSN? a thing? Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. I'm sure it was. I think I was just, I was very, I was a late bloomer in Boomer. <laughs> late boomer which late. one is it i feel like you boomer. should it's i feel boomer. Like, no boomer is more on brand though late, late boomer on the <laughs> internet i was a late boomer <laughs> like um, you didn't poop until you were seven yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> no i just um, i remember i was in like sixth grade when they took us to the computer lab and they asked us to make our first email address and i could come up with I came up with two. I felt like I needed two. One for Yahoo and one have, for Gmail. Do you still have them? Yeah, I you use had, them. You had Gmail when they... you The first time you made, made an email address, it was, was both, Gmail. It was Gmail and Yahoo.co.in. And my Yahoo one was Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And my Gmail was Snake Eyes. Dot one eight five five five. <laughs> <laughs> dot one What were your passwords? Five. I'm going in. One of them... <laughs> I, I think one of them was the name of my apartment building. And the other one, I don't even remember. But I've had all the passwords, like my crushes mm. as passwords. Harshal Resi- is not one of them, though. Mm-hmm. No. no is Harshal my crush? That's the question. No, he's just, he's your <laughs> ball He's pretty chain. crushable. <laughs> ball Look at him chain. vaping his cookies and cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have, we have a, a, a stranger on our couch just getting high as shit right now. <laughs> Staring at us with, yeah. with very... No, he looks kind of smug. Yeah. I think he's going to kill us. <laughs> but uh, what a way to end your life with a podcast. Mm-hmm. I think we're all blessed if we die. Did after. you just say to end it? To end your life he's with a podcast? Gonna, oh, if he's going to kill us. Okay, with it. He's yeah. going to take the microphone and just like... <laughs> that was it. That was his first. That he just dropped the hammer. Bad. Yeah, that was actually the microphone hitting my skull. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys want to talk about your reading series at all? Do you want to sure. like? We can. You know, you can. You know, just say whatever you want. You don't have to like plug it. Oh, I you mean, you just say everyone's we'll really angry. We'll plug it. We'll yeah. plug that thing yeah, right in. Why would we plug the thing that's happening? You know, every every yeah. middle of the month at Grill on the Hill, Saturday <laughs> night, eight p.m. <laughs> Plugging though. the story that One. we've told for our first three readings. Oh yeah, is the story we will tell you all again. Yeah, okay. and then we stopped because it got boring. It got boring because we've said it too many times. But for but... one night only. Yes, but for one <laughs> night only. This is a very interesting story. I, at one point, was a resident of Flushing in Queens, mm-hmm. uh, which was very happening and a very cultural experience for me because I would get stared by like Indian dudes on the bus and get followed on the streets. It was a lot of fun. Mm. But uh, oh, like th- that wasn't like an attack because I'm Indian, by the way. <laughs> uh, just to make it clear. Um, just... I think I think when you introduce yourself, or I did, as Meher Manda, then, you know. That yeah, was they pretty, got it. It was pretty That's, obvious. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so this is me calling out my brethren, you know. But I lived in Flushing and Chelsea came over mm-hmm. for a night out during which we did things. From not with Brooklyn, each other. Which shows how good our friendship is. Illicit things. Yeah. We did illicit dish 
Tish things and Blackish falafel. <laughs> let's be honest. Like, great show. Yeah, um, I've actually never seen one episode. It was the first ish I could think saw of. Saw like though. five, and then yeah. I stopped. It was the first syndicated ish mm-hmm. I could yeah. think of. So yeah, very and important. Ish adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> ish adjacent. Adjacent ish. Um, <laughs> and then I'd been wanting to because I'd read a few times that I really wanted to do something cool and fun, and mm-hmm. I wanted to do it with someone. And I thought, oh, we had a great night, and we we're friends, and why shouldn't I ask Chelsea? And it was this idea that of a reading series, except I wanted to do something different, and I wanted us to be to like set ourselves apart. And then the next morning. I being the good friend, <laughs> not the bad friend. I'm the, the good, good friend, doc- the, the good, good guy, the good doctor. That's another syndication. The good wife, uh-huh. <laughs> the, good the good place. I'm the good place. <laughs> and I decided to walk Chelsea. I was walking Chelsea to the train station. Mm-hmm. And that, I, was, that was basically what that was. That was basically, that was <laughs> my after, goodness. After a wonderful night together. Yeah, one, one memorable night. Mm-hmm. One in which... Chelsea saw things, but I did. In one wonderful night, <laughs> in a world where friends walk each other to the seven subway station, a reading series arises from the streets uh, of Flushing, uh, Main Street. So uh, yeah, so I I told her that hey, do you want to do a reading series? Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah. Yeah. And then, do you want to continue the story as a true partnership? We will share the story. Okay. We, we will baton. share the story. I mean, yeah. So so the other thing is, it was incredibly humid. I was very hungover. So Walmaher was telling me this idea. I'd like to add that it was sort of like a very bumpy kind of like walk to the station. For we were me. both actually very <laughs> fucked up. There was a morning. lot of emotion. Like still drunk going on. <laughs> were we still drunk? Was this the after drunk? Who knew? Very we hard just... to tell. But the thing is, I think what we both agreed on was that in particular in our own writing, something that we were both really passionate about exploring is the themes of anger and how that kind of manifests in lots of different ways. It's also something that I think just for both of us, we're generally just kind of like pissed off women. So I think like it was just one of those things that came about pretty naturally as something that we would love to create a community that would be just as pissed off as we were. But really, I think the the beautiful thing is, is that as it just spiraled out, once we started, you know, embarking on this journey to this community that we've created through this reading series, we found it's been just incredibly cathartic. Every reading is just, you know, a really amazing place where people share their own experiences and it just like falls together like a kaleidoscope. It's just incredible to meet so many great writers in the city. And, oh, yeah. I, and share that with them. I've been to half, at least. I don't know. How you've, many been have, you, you've, yeah, had, you've been to two. You've been to two. So two thirds. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's this is a fledgling reading series. Yeah. But yeah, and it's awesome. And it was. It, it's interesting because a lot of times, I mean, I read a lot in the city, and when somebody asks me to send in submissions, I'll send a recent poem that I want to test out, or I will send my favorite poems to read, and that selection comes to me very easily. Whereas when we ask our readers to come read, they have to specifically pick pieces that have to Mm -hmm. deal with anger. Mm -hmm. Even if those pieces are not ready to be read, even if those pieces are way too vulnerable or they're way way too disjointed Mm -hmm. and fragmented, there is an intention to what they're sending us. And very often than not, it's just... I think that process becomes very interesting because Mm. you see a variety of poetry being read. Mm -hmm. There's a poem that has to do deal with some other kind of anger, something to do with despair, mm-hmm. something to do with such prolonged sadness that there is no way for such grief to manifest but in anger and questioning. And I love that this process of selection gives us 
from the same reader very often very interesting in different pieces mm-hmm. which i think is a lot of fun i feel just that by putting them through that mental gymnastics mm-hmm. that we are establishing a certain sense of intention and purpose with the reading mm. yeah absolutely i think it's like a natural sort of like relationship starter like i know that sounds like such a weird phrase but i guess like when you think about it when you're kind of asking someone to give you and share a piece based around that kind of emotion and that kind of experience in particular i think it just creates a connection with people because I think, you know, when we have like a lot of the things that we share at reading series, it's kind of like, yeah, you're you're putting usually your best foot forward, right? Whereas I think, you know, naturally with the feeling of anger anyway, I think that that's, it's like a vulnerable emotion because it manifests from places that are of fear, of questioning, of difficulty, of conflict within us or with the outside world around. And I think just naturally that just leads us to an environment where we have these really beautiful relationships that we build with others. I mean, and it's funny though, because like sometimes it's also about like that framework of it creates such opportunity for humor and warmth. Like we've had, you know, like writers share their poems about like, you know, FOMO while at the same night we'll have one, you know, sharing a story about, you know, their own kind of experiences working abroad, you know, volunteering with different folks across the world and like the different disparities between communities. And Mm -hmm. it's so funny because like those things and the things they have in common is that feeling of anger and those things that connect those incredibly different experiences, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like right now, well, I'm also a very angry person, and I feel like they're <laughs> welcome to like the tribe. Ang- yeah, welcome to our tribe. <laughs> I feel like anger is like an inextricable part of any negative emotion that I have, and I'm wondering if anyone else feels like that too. Mm. It's just a, it's an emotion that arises when I just feel very like I can't, like I just there's no not way just futility. This. Yeah, not mm. just futility though. It's just like any sort of like friction, mm-hmm. and like mm. I'm just like a petulant child and I just don't want to deal with it in a way and then all the way from that to like actually feeling Mm -hmm. anger. I think it's very different. I I mean, as a woman growing up, especially because my mother is very conservative and very proper and she believes that there's a certain way that women should be behaving in public. Oh, interesting. And I was always told to channel my anger, which is very interesting because my father is very short-tempered and I sort of take after him in that way. Mm -hmm. But I was always asked to keep my anger in check. I was always asked to keep my voice in check, my volume. I was not, I was absolutely, you know, derided for talking back or questioning something. Mm -hmm. You have those parent-teacher meetings, right, when you're in school. And I would take my mother and they would say, oh, you know, Mare talks a lot and, you know, she gets very Mm -hmm. upset if you talk to her about something. And then my mother literally would come back home and cry. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I could do worse, like get B in my (laughs) tests. But that's not happened. I ranked Mm -hmm. first in the class, but your issue is the fact that I stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. So this is always... And you stand out. And I I stand out. So... For me, I understand that the anger also becomes a channel for change Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of things that drove me away from the stereotypical environment that my family life was like, where I'm, if if I'm an atheist, if I'm feminist, if I'm, and I'm very radically both, Mm -hmm. both of those emotions came from anger. I think I felt angry at this godlike entity, not 
because I had a very messed up childhood or that I'd been I was being punished in a way that nobody else was mm-hmm. but more in that okay this world is messed up this doesn't make any sense and I'm starting to really question whoever the puppeteer behind this is mm-hmm. it came out as a questioning the intentions of this godlike person and over time of course you read science and you acquaint yourself with genesis mm-hmm. in the scientific way mm-hmm. then you realize that this is this is bullshit you know but i think all of the things that made me radically political started with anger mm. and i think that it is that way i like to believe for everybody who's marginalized mm-hmm. because all of this anger feels really pent up this system doesn't let you express it schools families society you know and obviously human ethics demand that mm-hmm. you're not violent mm-hmm. I, i used to hit the wall with my yeah. knuckles to hurt my knuckles to mm-hmm. went out my anger mm-hmm. and i once broke a switchboard in my home when mm-hmm. i when i didn't like how a video game was going i used to bite my controller mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 but how it's interesting looking <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it could be wider yeah. but uh but no what were you what you were saying is very mm-hmm. interesting because i think about this all the time about how the paradox between anger being an agent of change which is mm-hmm. absolutely true and yet how like it doesn't make our us feel better it's mm-hmm. not like good for us as people but it's mm-hmm. necessary at the same time it's a very tough line to walk because we want to be happy you know and we only yeah. have this life yeah. to live but if we're going to fight for something to change we're not just doing it for ourselves because we're using our own time mm-hmm. you know and i don't know that's just really tough for me because like you know you know if we all want to work on our mental health and go to therapy and stuff mm. that's great but like i know a lot of that involves more objectively looking at life so, existentially mm-hmm. and not like you know in some of those political terms that like involve change and stuff and so it's hard to mm. reconcile that you know yeah. intellectually for me yeah i definitely know what you mean i think it's so interesting because like for me like in particular kind of like bouncing off of what we were just talking about i think that anger is something that growing up i also sort of pushed into an introspective place like my mother on the other hand was like i mean she's a firecracker it all like, starts from the mother oh absolutely <laughs> we're, we're all here with mother issues this episode but no i mean you know with like my mom she was you know running around the house like you know breaking every door by slamming it like and it's not even like it was like in a terrible way it's just that my mom is very dramatic we have a lot of russian blood in our family i think that it kind of stems from that growing up with the- Did she ever did she ever happily break a door? <laughs> I mean you know merrily maybe to be fair my mom i mean like you know my mom is the the kind of person where okay so there was like once a mosquito on like a back door window when we were living in the uk she she literally went to swat at it on the window and she put her fist through the window like hulk style like and did she was she like a bird that had f- didn't know the glass was there for a second <laughs> i think like, she just sort of thought she was gonna like you know lightly swat at this like mosquito and kill it and she just broke through the whole damn thing so like my mom is a person who is a big fan of expressing yourself that definitely sounds like a death perception <laughs> issue as well <laughs> maybe a little bit that to be fair she like an did. object permanence she was, issue she was for sure doing the gorilla arms for a very long time before she got the glasses you know where when you're trying to read something and you're just like <laughs> holding it further and further away like uh, putting it across the room i wish um, your mom was my mom i got us talking down but, to you for like two hours for breaking the switchboard i think we all <laughs> wish you know, everyone else's mom was our mom. <laughs> the thing is like i i definitely can understand that because i think a lot of people were always like growing up really like wow your mom is awesome but i think growing up with that it definitely makes you 
feel some kind of way about like certain like reactions from people and I think for me in particular it was definitely kind of a, a place of introspection mm-hmm. so whenever I felt angry I think because I never felt I was like the loudest person in the room I I often kind of like put it into a quieter place like I still today like when I get angry at something I more usually react with like crying which is like or withdrawing or something yeah like, that. Yeah, like yeah. it's a much more introspective kind of quiet place which is why i think it manifests a lot in my own writing um, you should try biting your controllers yeah probably <laughs> i mean i feel like also it, it kind of manifests in like weird uncomfortable humor which is probably like <laughs> its own kind of thing that's generally mature yeah you know? totally you, you know when you talk about biting your controller i keep thinking about like nadal winning something and then biting his cup oh yeah. and i and then i'm starting to think that maybe anger you know when you said that anger is you don't like feeling angry for those who, for those who don't know Rafael Nadal is a tennis player yeah, yeah a brilliant so, and one it's, and yeah, it's a trophy yeah. he's my favorite tennis player <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that that's he I would lo- have he that. lost to Djokovic in the last two finals and I'm pretty but sore about it no Djokovic jo- Djokovic is that really it because we all call everyone in America calls him the Joker I call him Djokovic yeah we, well, in maybe, America well, it's always maybe the, that's it's like Djokovic. a British thing I'm because I'm, I'm imagining it like Djokovic like, yeah. is it, isn't I mean, he a Swede yeah. isn't he a Swede <laughs> Isn't he? No, no, it is. It's not a British Check. name, no. for sure. Now, you guys can keep talking. Our producer <laughs> is just signing to me. British. Ask her why. Why, why she's British? Yeah, why am I British? Well. Say it again. You mean, like, when did you live in England? Yeah, or like why did this conversation over? So I'm ca- uh, this is this is when this is when Katie tries to tell me to say something. I have to try and do it in an organic. Okay, so like I will way. do this. So, I will do this when you like, told me about Nada. I'll say that, and uh, then we'll get into the whole riff. Okay. What's You're, the riff? I'm like, the riff is when you said that. Oh, Nadal is. Can you just ask her everything? Because <laughs> this is when I go. Wait, so on, Chelsea, on yeah, Chelsea. So when and. Under what co- circumstances did you live in England? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> I, I lived there when I uh, when I I'm moved there when my, I was twelve. <laughs> yeah, I'm we're biting our controllers. controllers. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something about England. They colonized my country. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, okay. Listen, no, okay. no, and you said, and yeah, but that's a thing. You're. Yeah, but you're not trying to combat it through your diction. You still say things like "I'm sat here." Like what the fuck is that, Meher? Listen. Are you trying to, the British, like, trying the, to separate the British the British took our most expensive diamond and they starved us and they took a lot from us. Yeah. And reduced our GDP. Yeah. But you're they left at us me. but they left us with their language, okay? <laughs> and you damn well know I'm gonna exploit it. All right? I'm gonna exploit that damn language. Okay, you exploit good, it, girl. Good. Work it. All right, I'm gonna so abuse lived, it. Work that language. So why did you live in the beautiful <laughs> Queens country? English they say? <laughs> Let's see which yes. queen. No, Would you Meher, like excuse a cup me, of I, tea? Excuse me, Meher, I was listening to why she lived in England, that beautiful country that we yeah, all love um, so much. Excuse me, can we please talk about England some more yeah. and not this like very tiresome? England never <laughs> won the World Cup, okay? England never won the World Cup. Not soccer, not cricket, cricket. either. Well, so. absolutely, Wait, no, that's they, why England they have has, like three England has definitely cups. won the World Cup. No, England hasn't won oh. the Cricket World Cup. The, oh, the, no, cricket, but you but said soccer. Gets- they invented cricket. Nobody gives up. You know how many times India won it? <laughs> a lot of time. That's great. No, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, just twice. Soccer. Twice. <laughs> I thought you said soccer. Okay, continue. I want to hear about Chelsea's white people issues. Yeah, <laughs> I want to I want to talk about my white people. Thank God. Something a nice Jewish boy can relate to. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> I mean, my my dad I'm used is, to this. <laughs> my dad is British. My mom is from Queens. 
They met living in New York City when they were very young, and they raised us in California, but then we moved to England when I was like 11 to take care of my grandma. And you're Jewish too, right? And I'm super Jewish. And, an, and a, Jew, uh, a, a British Jew. That's <laughs> A British Jew. I know. Yeah, that's tough over there. What did you guys say you wanted to talk about when we were texting? There was a show. Love, oh, Island. Love, Island. Love Island. Oh, actually, Let's get this into is a good this. segue. Okay, so yeah, I'm from I'm from England, uh -huh. and we have and a you're lot Jewish. of, and I'm Jewish, and we have some incredibly <laughs> <laughs> culturally rich media there, uh -huh. and the both BBC? me, no, the you BBC is. I mean, the BBC not. is okay, but it's, I mean, it's hey. not. <laughs> the Great hey. British Breaking Show came out of the BBC. Yeah, but Or they, something like that. But I don't they know kicked that's off, true. like, no, that was, wait, wasn't that on Channel 4? But they kicked you, off. No, now BBC. it is on. It, it is now. No, now it's, it's now on Netflix. Sky. PBS. It's PBS. There are producers just. Well, but there's no PBS signaled. in the UK. Yeah. So. God damn it. You guys. You now our producers are shrugging. <laughs> they're. They're it was on BBC. BBC is known for other things, like the big fat quiz of everything. Oh, yeah. And Graham Norton. So this is the thing. We're so very Love culturally Island. rich. But yeah, Love Island. there's this incredibly beautiful soliloquy of a show called Love Island, Love Island. that I have introduced Meher to. <laughs> and it has, been, it has been dreadful. And so, also very exciting. So let me explain the setup of Is Love it like Island. The Bachelor? No. You would think okay. you see, at the beginning. Because like, when we started watching it, Meher was like, oh, so it's basically like The Bachelor. And I was like, no. <laughs> there was not. a Love Islandish show in America back when we were like... Back in the day. Yeah, back in the it's day. It's based off of that. It's based off that original one, oh but they God. brought it to this England. This is the first time yes. England has taken a show from America, like ever. Mm -hmm. And made it even better. <laughs> genuinely. Because it put... No. Okay, so basically from it's from like five to six, like... <laughs> It's the young hot singles, and they take them from like incredibly like. Wait, but are they angry? Generally, Some, they do you know what angry. they eventually do? <laughs> yeah, I mean inevitably because the the, the layout then we're of the on show. Topic. Continue. <laughs> the layout of the show is kind of a little bit like the lobster. I feel like because it's in this nature of like you have to be in a couple or else you are voted off the island, mm -hmm. which is this incredibly like strange dystopian vibe to it that yeah. I love. But uh, also, it's all coming back. I remember this. Yeah. But also, it's just incredibly stupid because they just have like people who are from like you know like Liverpool and like Essex and stuff like that. And like I mean that was an awful Liverpool Welsh. accent. Yeah, and Welsh people who are just basically like from like buttfuck nowhere. Like in she said sorry. it. Yeah, that's kind of. <laughs> That's kind of racist, but we'll continue. <laughs> to Welsh uh, people. It's British. <laughs> but you know, just it's just British. just just to add on to that, Chelsea, who is from England and who knows culture, compared Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster to Love Island. There's your culture I don't know critical that, analysis I have no for idea the day. Yeah. That's a it's a great movie. You should watch it. I'll watch it. But my question, my more pertinent question is, do people fuck on the show? Yes, like they absolutely world. do. Like All the time. Yeah. While, uh, so everybody sleeps in the same room. Mm -hmm. What? You, so when you couple up with someone, like you have to share. Right? Yeah, yeah, when you, you couple up with someone, with someone, you have to share a bed with them. So you have all of these like full-size beds in the room uh -huh. that all of them are sharing. That's it, full-size? I'm guessing. I mean, that's... Well, could be queen, I don't know. No, they're like European queens. They're yeah. like, you know, I think Ikea size beds. Like, they're small. They're small. <laughs> and which means they have to snuggle and cuddle a lot. And they usually fuck under the sheets. Mm -hmm. Can you yeah. say fuck on the show? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I've been saying yeah. it a lot. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Guess. And they fuck under the sheets. And usually a lot of time, all of them 
the others would be watching. Yeah. And they'll uh-huh. be rooting for them. They'll be like, whoa, yeah. And it's just Yeah, very... they are. They're like, you know, scoring them out of 10. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> stood on the sideline. This show is responsible for giving me my greatest culture shock moment, which mm-hmm. I didn't think was possible. Uh-huh. I thought, like, nothing could shock me. I mean, me. what uh-huh. I think about this that's did. really shocking about the show is that I think whenever people think of, like, British people, they're always like, oh my god, they're so, like, well-spoken, even when they're just classy. talking about nothing. It's, like, so classy. But Europe is way less prudish than America. The whole fucking it's very true. Region. Very true. They have. If so you watch the Great British Baking, speaking of that show, like yeah. like Noel will make random sex jokes, and it's just like casual. Well, but he's it's like just a family. A, he's show. Just but Noel Fielding creep. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a creep. No, I he's not. He's I love him. Yeah. I love him. He's so funny. I love him. He well, kind of thinks he's a rock star, but I'll. No, like, that's I the whole. Like but he did that's have a traveling part. musical comedy show, and he filled out stadiums. So maybe he is oh, a rock star. I didn't know that. About he had him. his own comedy troupe called the Great, the Big, something Babouche, <laughs> something like that. The and Mighty Boosh. The Mighty Boosh. Oh, you know. And he was. It was there was music in it, and okay, they filled out stadiums. So, so. but the Mighty Boosh is like. Okay, there's, like, a couple of good episodes. And people are going to fight me on this, like, 100%. Like, British people. Honestly, it's very <laughs> overrated, in my opinion. Is it worse than what's better, Love Island or or The Amuse Bouche or whatever the fuck you the just called? Bouche. Okay, well, I mean, I think... Okay, that's hard. Because on the other hand, like, Love Island is not good either. But it's just, like, what? at least it's it's very self-aware we just, we just, of its own we just, terribleness. We just <laughs> sprinkled praise on it for, like, ten minutes. You know... That makes ruining my reputation. Reputation. <laughs> it, speaking of ruining reputations, the first time I've admitted to watching a really terrible show is in right public, now. <laughs> in, like in to a well, broadcast. Let's, then audience. let's just let's just get it over with. What else do you watch that's terrible? You know. No, come on. Things. No, come on. Come on. I can answer this incredibly easily. Hell's Kitchen, Katie and I, or I'm sorry, our producers. I mean, it's not the other stuff I watch like over and over again. It's not terrible. Like Harshal will attest. I watched the big fat quiz of everything the same episodes 10 times. Never seen that. It is the most hilarious. It's on Channel 4 and they get like these really funny people and they quiz them about history and music. It's a British channel that has shows. Oh, okay, we're back to the British channel. Yeah. Okay. But then these the are bi- all going to be British. And the Big Fat Quiz of Everything has... Because she still is, like, a I'm still colonized. She's still colonized, <laughs> yeah. Intellectually. We're still and artistically. Yeah. Still the British never left. Their seed is I'm in just, me. I'm disappointed in you, here. I'm oh getting angry, and I want to go on the series, and I want to... Talk about all of the colonized Indians who can't yeah. seem to be rid of the British. Yeah. No, but that show is hilarious, especially... Because, I mean, the questions are straight jacket questions. Like, what did David Cameron say last year or something like that? What was the biggest song of the year last year? But I think the contestants are so funny. It's all of these, you know, really funny British comics. Noel Fielding, David Mitchell, Sarah McMillan, Richard Ayoade. Has, like, anyone on Parliament or, like, a Prime Minister ever been on this show? No, but the... Oh, as in the it's questions? It's just like... Yeah, no, no, no. I'm they saying, like you contest- said, they ask questions no. about them, but they're never... They've it's not like celebrities shows. or anything like no. that. But okay, the okay. contestants are, like, they're well-known British comics. And okay. you've had, like, Gina Peretti go... Not Gina Peretti, Chelsea Peretti. Gina is her, the name of her character. Chelsea Peretti was on the Trust show. Trust me, no one's going to know here. <laughs> She's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But anyway. Oh, okay, I okay. Her. Yeah. I've never seen Chelsea. that show. Yeah. And Michelle Wolf was in okay. the recent oh. one. So they have all of these comics and it becomes incredibly hilarious. And I'll watch the same episode 15 times. Mm-hmm. And I watch a lot of other shows. But they're not terrible. I think the truly terrible show, I watch a lot of Indian reality shows where kids are singing. Oh, that's definitely bad. Because it's like, I just, it makes me, when I'm, when I'm about to get my period, 
and like I, <laughs> I already got it. But when I'm about <laughs> to get it, like a couple okay, of days before. Wait, wait, I just need an interpolation. We're going to take a break in like nine minutes. So that Meher can change her lady goods. My lady goods. Yes. My, my lady goods. Uh, lady. Yeah, I'm all about reproductive rights. But Yes. And <laughs> so I get very emotional and I like little talented children. Like children who go up on stage and sing a song, mm. like an Indian song, perfectly with all their notes and pitches hitting. And they sing it. I do, I do. They so sing I wanna, very so if earnestly. So you cry to that, I want to see you watch like, like 9-11 hit shots. Oh, I've watched those. Or like... <laughs> I, and I listened to it. all the and I listened to all of the 911 911 calls that people made when they were stuck in the towers. Oh my god! And she I spent gets me. and I spent a she whole no 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 no. I spent like this one whole day just listening yep. to every single one of those recordings. And oh yeah, we're getting we're getting some serious tunage from Harlem. From, it's the streets of Harlem, you the guys. The streets of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Background music. We gotta keep this. But this is good. This but is this hip-hop. is a boogie break. I mean, really, we could just, like, break early for you two to change the bequeath you your, change my you your lady goods upon, upon this. Listen, I'm land. not like one of these prudish British people. I will call them what they're supposed to be called. They're <laughs> tampons. tampons. And but they girl. should not be a luxury tax but, on them. But yeah, no. First, I want to talk about serial killers. <laughs> wow. Mahir is not Let's keep wait, keep that keep that rolling. So yeah, so Chelsea with Chelsea's last question was: Is there a point in which an intervention could be made that would like change the course of events for like a serial killer or some because, psychotic sort of person that's gonna be very violent? You know? Yeah, because this is something we were kind of talking about on like the car on the way over, which I was thinking about was you know because then we need to talk about Kevin like. Okay, spoiler alert coming up. So you read the book, though. Yeah, and I've read you, the and book. And you saw the movie? And I've seen the movie. So was the book better? I think usually the is, book but... is a little more complex, but yeah. I think both are actually really good. Yeah, that's why books are still relevant, because I don't think... Oh, absolutely. You can capture that kind of well, you complexity. Can't, you can't, yeah. like, capture the kind of emotional, like, internal complexity yes, exactly. of a character like that. Yeah, you, but... can get, you can get the, you know, obviously the visual component is itself jarring, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, absolutely, I think in the movie in particular, they did a really good job of creating that discomfort and tension from the kind of more everyday things. And credit to Tilda Swinton for that. Oh, absolutely. Because you can almost see her sort of channelize this agony. I mean, usually when you read, I haven't read the book. I just started last night Mm -hmm. because I watched the movie a second time. Should we give like a little synopsis of this? Do you want to give it real quick? Yeah. Just like a, like, you know, a little... So we don't want to. Like jacket copy. I, I, I don't want to give away the spoiler, but something violent happens uh, with regard to Kevin, who is in the the, the title is after the yeah. mm-hmm. and the eponymous child, the eponymous, uh, child. Mm-hmm. and the movie at least is presented as a series of flashbacks and moments through the eyes of the mother played by Tilda Swinton. Kevin, adult, like 15-year-old teenage Kevin is played by Ezra Miller. And we get all of these flashbacks that Kevin is not necessarily a very hospitable child. (laughs) It starts, it has something to do with the mother played by Tilda Swinton and her character's resistance to mothering. She lives this very bohemian, you know, travel, travelogue lifestyle, but, you know, she becomes a parent and then that's when it stops. So she bears a certain resentment towards this kid. Uh And we know she's struggling with playing mother and that may have something to do with it, but it starts to get this child is incredibly torturous Mm -hmm. and he really like punishes her and tests 
busts her and really like, like he does things like up until the like he's eight years old he like refuses to be potty trained and makes her like change his diaper and like mm-hmm. looks her in the eyes and like it's he kind of sounds like a genius yeah right I he, mean honestly I, I would it, yeah. still I've be seen doing this that movie and I <laughs> he is incredibly smart and very mm-hmm. articulate and very I mean at 15 years mm-hmm. old he says all of these things that you wouldn't imagine a regular 15 year old to say mm-hmm. and there's just a great degree of intelligence oh, imagine, imagine that in a workshop I know would he say this <laughs> he's only 15 yeah right? no there's a great degree of intelligence but he's also clearly he shows very strong signs of uh, psychopathic behavior mm-hmm. especially toward his mom mm-hmm. and then you know this violent thing that he is a participant in we try to understand how much of that that is that is the fulcrum around which mm-hmm. these snapshots exist and also, like, in particular, definitely, like, with that emphasis on the fact that she is constantly sort of criticized in her own role as mother in the book. And, like, the way in which that kind of unfolds in her retelling of their relationship in retrospect of, like, what ultimately happens um, and kind of the raises those questions, like was there a time where there could have been an intervention of some kind, like where maybe like therapy would have been like a useful tool to obviously introduce? Or was it that she was just so ashamed of what was happening that she couldn't really kind of reconcile the two images of her son? Like, There, is there it- are psychopaths that, you know, the, you know, the dude who wore that like, Joker costume and like when the movie theater and shot up all those people. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I, I read this book Capture, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Katie, uh, oh man, our producers read it first, <laughs> and then uh, and then I read it, and it's like kind of like guiding us towards this like grand unifying theory of mental illness, kind of. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy. I mean, that sounds like a manifesto for like a serial killer themselves, but mm-hmm. actually, but it, like in reality, honestly, it. it makes a lot of sense it's like this idea that we just get fixated on stuff and that's like a lot of our problems so this guy he tried himself to get help and told psychiatrists that he wanted to kill people and like he knew that this was a problem and like they never adjusted and like it just it they i mean like obviously it was addressed to a certain degree but just like going back more more going back to what chelsea was saying about just like what could she have done different because she might have felt ashamed it's like this guy himself had to go out there and say, I am like, I desire to kill people. Like I have a serious mm. problem, you know, mm. that that's really hard to get over. I don't, I don't know how he did. I don't know how he did that. And it still happened. It's like really mind boggling to me. And like, it's so interesting, right? Because I mean, I wonder like what level of that was the kind of protection of like people that you're treating and kind of thinking, you know, if you have that element of self actualization to be able to like, stop yourself enough to go and seek help they probably figured maybe there's a level of i don't need to involve authorities i don't need to make people aware but you think they do even let like they do more for people who say they want to kill themselves than other people because if someone walks into a hospital or to a psychiatrist and says i really feel like i'm going to kill myself they would you know lock them away they section you Uh like all that stuff and it's like so where is that line? Mm-hmm. Like, at what level do we help and intervene? Mm-hmm. I know it's a, it's, it's a very tricky thing because it's because I always believe that there's always enough time for intervention. Simply because I, I think it was a sort of a trip I started to go on last year 
Kate's, who was here on your last podcast. Yes, two. She pen- was she was on two, actually. She was on two. She was who on was... part one and two of our criminal justice mm-hmm. one. Yeah, and she works with the Pen Prison Writing Program, yeah, and I was helping them out for a period. And it was a question that sort of began then, because for me personally, I always think that there are certain crimes where intervention is good and okay, and there are certain crimes in, in my head that feel so sinister that, you know, there is no other alternative but to at least lock them up because I don't believe in capital punishment but just to like keep them away sure. and most of that has to do with really torturous murder or rape those are the it's like or or things that it's like this person could just do this again and we don't know how to solve it right you know so like for the time being at least I mean it's sad because I don't know right. yeah. like in my head I'm always okay with white collar crimes and drug related crimes because for mm. me those are fine but in my head I had this moral line hmm. that's interesting and because I I actually I feel like it should be the same sort of standard it's like if this person is just going to keep doing the same thing because white collar crimes you can see you just can't see the blood on their hands exactly you know what I mean exactly so if someone's like reaping all this benefit someone else is starving out there because mm. of that absolutely. you know what I mean mm-hmm. no I absolutely agree but in your head because you see the presence of a victim's body yeah, and you yeah. see I mean, the mutilation yeah. and the destruction mm-hmm. there is there yeah. is you rate a rape differently from like a large scale you know capitalist embezzlement uh, or embezzlement. Like, yeah, yeah, something like that. and yeah. but it was you know I was part of the pen prison writing program and I would read all of these pieces by prisoners who had you know I didn't know what crimes any of them committed but one of them who won the nonfiction round by the time his letter of you know his congratulations letter was posted to him he had already been hung Mm. so if he'd been hung obviously that was a crime that was incredibly harsh Mm -hmm. and then I realized because I remember his piece being my absolute favorite Mm. of that year and it started to lead me onto this territory of questioning because that piece was incredibly humanistic and it was incredibly touching. Mm-hmm. And I, that really made me consider what rehabilitation and therapy and personal involvement can do to the darkest mind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in my head, I still feel like certain crimes, you know, emotionally, I feel very vulnerable to letting them off. I mean, not letting them off, but saying that they're worthy of being of reconsideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel that Especially if you have an anti-prison institutional stand. Mm. If you believe that just the whole idea of having prisons, and even in India, we spoke about, when I was at Penn Prison Writing, they had the strike going on by prisoners who, because they were not, they thought, they, they filed a petition that what they were being forced to do was essentially slavery. It's a modern mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. of slavery. Oh, it is, absolutely. I mean, you saw what they did with the prisoners here with like the California California fires, yeah. Yeah. And even in India, you they make you do a lot of work and the money you accrue through that process is very little yeah. that you get when you're released. It's very far below the minimum wage. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually very like, far below. Aren't there, I was reading this article about how there are literally, yeah, like prisons in India where like they have like couples living together and like they just have like free accommodation but they have to go out and work for everything else but it's like in these closed communities I think I read an article about this recently I don't I wouldn't know anything yeah. about it I just think it's like I think it's interesting because on the one hand the thing is like from from my own work like with incarcerated like alternative education settings like with the right to write program I think I definitely agree that they're 
is such a healing process and rehabilitation. I think I'm a real advocate for that. I think absolutely there's, and there's something even to be said, you know, for the dynamic of having incarcerated individuals rehabilitate through assimilation of workplaces and understanding how to learn crafts and all these kinds of things and having those opportunities to learn and to grow. That said, obviously, we exploit it and that's where it gets really complicated. But I also think it's really interesting what you're saying because I think like, you know, in cases like, for example, one of my family friends is a professor at Bennington and she teaches a college prep course in Sing Sing and one of her students was a serial killer who had killed like over 30 people and he was like one of the best students in the class. Mm. And she sort of like was kind of pontificating on this in this level of like, is it that same kind of like nature of focus to get away with killing so many people that made him also such an interesting and innovative thinker because of that focus he had to basically write almost like an entire manifesto on her class and be like her star student and when you also think about that you also think about like you know individuals like Ted Bundy who is like a suicide hotline worker like Mm. even throughout like many of his years of killing And you sort of think like there's other sides to all people, but that doesn't necessarily mean if they're given those opportunities to do good, that they then wouldn't do those other things. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to, I don't know. I know I agree with that. I mean, although you can argue that like, especially in the case of Bundy, that he did that because of narcissism or some degree of, you know, self-protection and self-righteousness even. To be like, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. I think, yeah, that that gets real complicated. I don't think we'll ever know. Because because there's a lot of people who do these things that are bad and they have the idea that they don't even have remorse. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, sometimes it isn't even really true. They know that they're doing something bad. They might not feel the remorse. But at the same time, he's like someone like Ted Bundy, like those kind of people are just, it's like having an orgasm for them or like something Mm. that relieves themselves. Mm -hmm. Like like they are are sublimating or manifesting something by killing people, you know? That's a truly negative expression of anger yeah, and no. frustration if there exactly. ever was one. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the whole, that, 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 that was my uh, through line through this whole conversation we're having is like, you know. No, but if you want to see uh, more anger, <laughs> come to um, Girl on if the you're, If you like the Ted Bundy documentary, you will also like an angry reading series. Uh, you're interested in Ted Bundy. <laughs> Netflix recommendation. Yeah, no, we, but yeah we, need, we need to come up with a proprietary algorithm yeah. real quick. It's very interesting because one of the things we say in, on our website when we're looking for submissions is P.S. that this is not a space for airing bigoted anger. Absolutely. That anger can be personal and anger can be political and it can be communal, but mm-hmm. we don't want it to be bigoted and to express. But <coughs> Down your orange cello. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I have yours? If you're not going to drink it. Sure. It, I was going to at some point. But, you know, this but tastes no, like an don't. ear medicine I had when I was a kid. <laughs> Sorry, Sergio. No, yeah, and, no, and Susanna. Like, honestly. God damn it. No. We're uh, talking about my heroes here. <laughs> but I, I, hey, excuse me. I love it. You love what? The orange cello. No, I, I want it. to try it. I thought it. you meant Ted Bundy. You haven't even tried it yet? No. <laughs> do I take a sip or do I take a shot? Just drink the whole thing. That's fine. Girl, you cheersed and you didn't sip. Oh, she didn't like it. Is there I like any left? it. Is there any left? I like it. 
It's like a very tiny sip. You can have some. Yeah, thank you. I'm I mean, I'll continue gross. drinking it. It just tastes like ear medicine. Give it up. Give it to me. Pour it in here. But my ears feel great. <laughs> <laughs> That's placebo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. That's yeah. it. We're having the intervention now. <laughs> We're redirecting Guys, your path. You need to put down the orange cello. <laughs> all right. All right. So yeah, this is a good. We, this is a good uh, segue into uh, Lumina, where plenty of serial killers and psychopaths thrive. Oh, absolutely. And fester and cultivate Although, you know, what's actually interesting is we do have a story this year that is along a similar vein of we need to talk about Kevin. Mm. That's interesting. So. The, the same one that's coming out this March? Mm-hmm. So this volume out in March 2019. Wow. Buy it. <laughs> um, do we get a contributor's copy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all contributors get a copy. Look at mm-hmm. that. And we got two contributors in the room right here. What are yeah. the other two readers? Fucking, fucking inside job right here. Man. Yeah. It's the Illuminati. Right? Luminati. The, Luminati. The, the literati is what we like to call it, but you know. But we do use the phrase Luminati. Although I usually only use it like Luminati. quietly to other people while they while they get uncomfortable that I'm actually using it. Now like, like a dad. Now everyone's going to hear it. I mean, it's yeah. a great group to be in. Beyonce's in it. Wait, what say. group? Well, I'll, no, 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 no. That's the Illuminati. <laughs> Everything's the same. No, this is the Illuminati. I know, but okay. like the Illuminati is a subset of the Illuminati. Is it? Yeah. Like, are we paying dues? Like, are we? Like, I are there kick-ups? I don't know. What we're I do get. About. <laughs> I have kick-ups in my chest. You have hiccups. Kick-ups. Hiccups. I have very radical late kick-ups. <laughs> late boom, blo- I said bloomer the first time, but um. there's a language barrier, everyone. We're trying to figure it out right now. <laughs> We're going to just like wait until the limbs find their lettering. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so. I'm not going to describe the grotesque gesture, just emphasized my way. I didn't do it. <laughs> but with Lumina this year in particular, we were really focused on representation of different communities, different identities, giving voices to a lot of underrepresented communities in particular, and focusing also on just experimentation of the written form. How do you mm. experiment with the written form, Chelsea? Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it, we're doing it right now. If only you want to know. We are experimenting. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that especially, like, you know, I, I think a lot about sort of difficult writing, um, and it's something... That's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, you know, I've spent my entire life, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be easier. Mm-hmm. It's very, very frustrating. Anyways, continue. Well, no, but absolutely. And I think there is an element of, like, right, where... Because when you're a writer, you're also obviously, like, you're a business person. You're you're figuring out how to market yourself and how to get people to listen to you, mm-hmm. which is incredibly hard, especially... And also, a lot of people just don't even know that they have to do that or refuse to believe it. And I oh, did absolutely. that for a very long time. Because, yeah. like, being a writer is not being a business person. It's just not. Yeah. And, like, you can have both of those skills. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they, like, you know, mm-hmm. can't coincide, but mm-hmm. they just really are mutually exclusive. They have nothing to do with one another. Yeah. And, like, this idea that, like, people have always been forced to market their stuff and mm-hmm. like blah 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 mm-hmm. i there's probably a kernel to tr- of truth to that but at the same time they're just not at all the same but so much of good business is good communication yeah 
Absolutely. Oh, I agree, but like I actually all of business. But but here, Shark Tank. <laughs> let me let me give you let me give you an example. Oh, me and me and Katie have thought about going on Shark Tank and saying, "Oh, it's like this is our business model." And they'd just be like, "People read books." Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't would care. Mark like, Cuban would be like, <laughs> "Yeah, no." They'd be like, "What is this?" He's the only judge I know. Honestly, <laughs> is is Love Island better than Shark Tank? Like, no. Is oh, it, absolutely. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Wow. No. No. no, no, no fight no. me. No. Oh my god. <laughs> Love Island this is a is lot great. of fun. And I have watched you know 22 episodes in the last one week. I would argue that don't but we have enough media in this world that encourages people to shit on each other? And here we are with Love Island, which is about a community of people all trying to find the person that they will spend the rest of their lives with, or at least the Jesus. next six weeks in Portugal. With. Most of them yeah, are 20 they- years old. <laughs> Most of them, at least in the season I'm watching, are, are 20 tw- years old. Yeah. Oh, except for and like that one old hag who's like 30. She's amazing. She's the best. Rest in peace, Sophie Dirty Graydon. Smart. But she's dead, dude. She's dead? Yeah. What? I mean, yeah. that's a whole other okay, Love so Island. No, but that was actually the really weird thing. thing while we were watching Love Island was that, you know, I, I can't wait to get to the end when it's like an old season because the, the seasons I'm watching now came out in like 2015, 2016. So like we were kind of texting and it's weird because in particular with 2016, it feels like a cursed season because all the other seasons like that I've researched so far have just been like, oh, this person's like an Instagram model now. And mm. it's like, oh, okay, yeah. But like... You know, we have this one character on the show, well, character person on the show (laughs) named Malin. And, like, she's, like, had a miscarriage. Both her parents died of cancer in, like, the years since she left the show. And then we have... Did um, she find anyone on the show? She did. She did. She got voted out. Because she picked him and left this other guy. And one day after... I just saw that episode, so I know. One Mm -hmm. day after she got voted out, the guy she was paired with... Fuck you, Terry. Fucks Mm -hmm. this other girl immediately. Even though he insists he will be... You know, committed to her. Yeah, and he's still like, a couple. babe, you're you're the girl for me. But like, does that benefit him in the in the show? In no, because he lost eventually. Because I know who the winners. Yeah, are. we know who the winners. It are. didn't. It did. You know who the winners are. Yeah, it's season two. Are. It's from yeah. three years ago. Well, and that's like uh, the best well, part. Well, you can't does... be going on Google and shit. But Come this is on. okay. That wait, no. The fun. But this is the crazy part. Was that love when Island. you research it? Yeah, it's Love Island. Didn't you watch Ted Bundy? Didn't you know what he did? It's not secret. So true. You know the end of that story. Yeah, we haven't watched Ted. Bundy yet, and I don't know the end of that story. Well, like, well let me tell you what Ted Bundy did. Yeah, and a necrophiliac. <laughs> Our producers are saying that she doesn't want to know the end of the story. Ted Bundy. To me, honestly, I see that preview and I'm like, wow, a strapping young man embroiled in controversy. You know, everybody's like talking about how hot he is. He just literally looks like a dude that's like checking out your groceries. Like, no, I don't that's know. That's the He's whole like- point. He is, he was supposed to be incredibly charming. He was, I think he is legitimately, generally good looking. I actually had a friend back in my undergrad of creative writing who used to write letters to like um, Ted Bundy. No, not well. He's dead. It would be like that would be silly. But no, she did. You can write letters to dead people. (laughs) So true. I've done it. I did it to God. (laughs) He's not. You you wrote a letter to God. God is dead. God is dead. Nietzsche. (laughs) Not Nietzsche. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Nietzsche. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You want to come across as stupid on this podcast. So I did have a friend who used to write to guys in prison and like just like, you know, pen pal kind of stuff. But she actually ended up marrying one of them when he was released. 
generation, as it were, of people to take it on and make it their own again. You know, I don't expect people to keep it exactly the same. I think I would be crazy to think that past when I leave that everything is going to you know, just continue on as it were. But I think that's the best part. So the so the new so the new thing is basically making sure that everyone else can do a new thing. Yeah. Themselves. I think yeah. that almost that's something I would find even more exciting is to have it be that So you can do yeah you that can, it focuses yeah. almost its branding towards and lends itself towards that aspect Whoever's of there. like everything is going to be new and exciting every year. Yeah. And that And that mm-hmm. and, and, and it's synergized by the fact that, you know, every like you guys get to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you it's not just like, oh, here's a new thing that someone grandfathers down to you, or you yeah, exactly. Know, or it's not less like you know, patriarchal. You yeah, know? exactly. Right. It's not like a like a queen just like getting you know like you know into her throne and putting on the blanket and just sort of sitting there with her corgis. It's like you know, you're you're really taking on something and that's pretty cool. Though. Connecting to it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I probably would have done Queen that. Elizabeth yeah. II. <laughs> yes. What, one thing I will say, I actually, I actually did not know this. We did a podcast from the Crown, <laughs> my favorite Netflix show. I would I, argue I, though. I, the I saw the first few episodes and I was like, but nothing's happening. It's beautiful. No, but a lot happens. Does it? It's British, so you (laughs) don't know what's happening. Let me say this one. But it's happening. Let me say this. Meher, get get one more out. (coughs) Great job. Great job. I did not know that our producers, our lovely producers, lovely sister of via design did lumina's website absolutely i had no idea she did a fantastic yeah she and her husband are so talented honestly like i would definitely make sure you check her out and you can also check her out on uh what what is episode what episode is she on four really (laughs) damn we've done a lot since then Mm -hmm. okay yeah so yeah check out episode four we'll we'll uh we'll we'll edit that if that's wrong And she did an absolutely fantastic job. She she really, they got on board with everything about our new vision. The website looks amazing, helped us with our redesign with our book, as well as Jonathan from Major Robot, who has worked with Lumina for years. And it's been a really great collaborative process. Yeah. What cool. exciting about. <laughs> she, she, she wanted to make sure I said her name. Cool. I'm plugging everyone. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Lizzie nice and Sean job. from Via Design are incredibly talented, like genuinely. And they're, and they're also very smart. really, really fun to work with. Yeah. Like, honestly, I can't even count the amount of phone calls I had with them where like we would start with one part of our design and then just like 20 minutes later, we'd be talking about like the roundabouts in London. And I'd be like, I don't know how we got here, but I, I'm here for it. <laughs> but I enjoy it. They're great people. Mm-hmm. And their dogs are really cute. I never witnessed that, but I imagine so. They all are. dogs are cute. <laughs> True. Have you ever like had someone be like, "No, yeah. this dog sucks." <laughs> okay, I do. I do have to say that about Pomeranians. Some people say that about oh, what, Rosetta. Like those little fuzzballs. Those palms. I mean, palms are yeah. the worst but, dogs, and every I, single Indian auntie mm-hmm. in India has a palm. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's a very popular Indian dog. Maybe mm-hmm. because it's so white, and mm-hmm. we've always wanted to be like white people, <laughs> so we got white dogs. But God, that that dog is really annoying. I mean, I'd argue it's not a dog if you can lose it down the back of a couch. You know it's what not I that mean? tiny, like, though, but like, you know. well, I mean, I guess my, I I can lose Wait, did like you just... almost anything down the back of my couch. <laughs> There's an Indian Twitter. There's an Indian Twitter. No. <laughs> what I just got at what. I just got asked okay. to ask. Oh. <laughs> no, the whole speaking of anger. You're just so you're saying Twitter in India. P- yeah. Indian people using on Twitter. Twitter. Indian people okay. on Twitter speaking about Indian things. It's like a whole subset. Right <laughs> no, but like spe- speaking of anger, right? This whole. I, I, at least, like I know that Katie is a witness. No, nope, that's our producers. 
our producers. Yes. Our, our producer. producer. The producer is a producers. witness. Our um, producers. She keeps asking mm-hmm. me about how I keep like rant a lot on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't do as much as a lot of other Indians on Twitter. Yeah, I keep telling you. But it becomes. That. <laughs> <well>. <laughs> it does. It is sort of. Twitter does become a sort of cesspool for political mm-hmm. frustration and anger. Mm-hmm. And in India, so much so because yesterday, it's just uh, not even yesterday, just today, like the three major political parties tweeted gifts at each other. Which was just like a very like we didn't thought we like would they live. wired billions in cryptocurrency to each other like no, I don't gifts, understand what this means. gift images oh gifts <laughs> gifts. Not gifts we give each other gifts. gifts gifts like okay so there was there were moving images there were moving <laughs> gift images that they tweeted to each other <laughs> the which gifts was of Indian Twitter. that's not as good Twitter. as a lot of Bitcoin I gotta admit but <laughs> it's its own fun but we never thought we would live to see that day that you have these three political parties be like channel the millennial mm-hmm. on Twitter and do this process of meme sharing. Yeah. And it was just like, kill me right yeah. fucking now. So like half the, of the people in these parties are illiterate. I can't believe this party. What were the so gifts? It, it was just ridiculous. One person put a video, the other person shared one, the other political party shared a gif of Nancy Pelosi clapping at Trump. Like, Oh, you tried, you know, mm-hmm. you tried. Mm-hmm. And then the third person, the third political party put a gif of, Michael Jackson or someone eating popcorn. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we're watching both of you fight. Where, where are the Indian references? Why are we outsourcing our references here? Listen, <laughs> obviously, because they have some, like, freaking 22-year-old doing their social media. I uh-huh. think that's what it comes down to. There are a lot of Indian references on Twitter. Most of them come from Bollywood, which uh-huh. is its own little cesspool. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing. You'll find a lot of Indian gifts on Twitter. Gifts. Gifts. But, Gifts. but I wonder also, like, I mean, because obviously, like, there are just kind of, like, sort of world, like, globalized, I guess, like, GIF, like, kind of culture, right? Yeah, so it's sure. Like but it's just, nature. I think we've lived through, I think, essentially, as, I mean, of course, I mean, it's a, it's a little incriminating to say that India battles, like, centuries-old rhetoric, in terms of political ideology, but so does America. Like, we're still discussing abortion in 2019 Mm -hmm. in America. So it's like an evangelical influence is really high in the American politics. But so slavery is still... Yeah, race, I mean, you know. But it would be be sort of absurd to say that, oh, Indian politics is really regressive, Mm -hmm. but it really is also. I mean, the whole rhetoric of, like, communal discord being used and manipulated to fashion a, like a large scale political rewriting of the country because we're a secular country democratically we do not associate with the religion the state does not associate with the religion but there is a large scale attempt to move it to the hindu fundamental right mm-hmm. and all of this regressive nonsense is happening and then the three political parties sharing gifts just feels like such a weird it, it feels like a wormhole like a real life rhetoric does not meet up with the sophistication and the sort of modernity of the right the online rhetoric mm-hmm. and that is what is absurd because you have like the the prime minister of the country say some of the most bigoted and communal shit and he was responsible for what like one of the most serious communal pogroms in the country he was he justified it he let it happen who, who uh, which, which which like who, who is the Indian prime minister? No, 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 no. You said you said pogrom. 
Pogrom, yeah. Yeah, like uh, who? Like, the the Hindu-Muslim pogrom in Gujarat, in the state of Gujarat. Hindu-Muslim? Uh, yeah, so in... Um, but those are two different factions. Like, what yeah, that is... The, that, the, so the pogrom was on the Muslims. There was this communal uh-huh. rioting that was happening. Got but it. essentially, it became a large-scale massacre of Muslims in Gujarat. And there was, like, large yeah. school looting and raping and murdering. And that's a thing that's not isolated to this. Event. It's not... Yeah, that's it's, not isolated. Yeah. But yeah. the person who was the chief minister at the time and who was justifiably lenient with the proceedings and who is a member of the Hindu right is now the prime minister of the country. So there's this large scale political rewriting that is happening. And it just feels like every single day, we're 70 years away from our independence. We're relatively a young country, very, a very young country. And so but at the same time, we are regressing, we become you know, even more communal, you know, we were becoming even more casteist, you know, caste issues are coming up. I mean, it's not like they ever went and we were never, you know, we never decided to keep caste system back in the Bay. That but was, it's, that's, that's caste for all us Americans out here. Caste system. Caste, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, so there is this, all of this rewriting happening and you see this, and also a lot of members of these political parties are criminals and a lot of them have, are just, that's like everywhere in the world. Yeah. That's like everywhere in the world, yeah. but we're not talking lobbyist white collar crime. We're not talking. Oh, I took a lot of. Talking com- about pogroms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about. Oh, I took a money from the gas and diesel industry, and now I'm going to deregulate mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is just like baseline level. I'm going to murder your fucking mother, kind of like mm-hmm. be criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people have criminals as their political party members, so it just feels that. We, the, the crap we hear in our lives as being part of the Indian political system is so baseline and so fundamentally regressive that mm. when you have the political parties tweeting gifts at each other, it just is like, come on, don't don't kid me. This is mm. just you're just don't do this. Mm-hmm. And it was just incredibly embarrassing for everyone watching from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody tweeted, oh, God, I wish I'd never lived to see this day. And <laughs> I, I very much echo that. I did not. How, want, w- how did we get here? How did, how we, did get we get here? Games? Right. Okay, no, let's uh, let's talk about how Indian Twitter feeds back into the Angry Reading series and your work. Well, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's These closers not- are always the hardest thing. Yes. Like, we're always like, how do we close this? No, I mean, you know, funnily enough, like, I've always been an angry person, but sort of having Twitter as a venue mm-hmm. where there mm-hmm. isn't as much repercussions for your the, anger not just repercussions but oh just- can i tell you speaking of which i've had a friend i have a friend who was banned from twitter yeah i know so many people who were banned from twitter so many you know yeah. so many because you have all you're of these angrier like- than me you know more angry people than i do i mean indian twitter is angry rightfully <laughs> so wrongfully so also were they from death threats i've had death threats you've gotten death i've threats? gotten death threats did for- they get did they get banned i didn't report them but like because for me it's just I, I would just stop responding. Also, I'm fairly unimportant as a person, so it's not like I got a thousand death threats. They were maybe five, and who cares about five death threats? Pretty decent. Right? You should be proud of yourself. I am. <laughs> that's what keeps Honestly, me up at night like as notoriety. a journalist. Yeah. The death threats are still very the <laughs> death threats are still very cutting and vulgar and at least to the point. Mm-hmm. But the other day, just like two weeks ago. So they're ago, good writers. That's what you're saying. 
not good writers, but they're succinct. <laughs> you know, they're pithy. But um, I, I don't know. I think <laughs> that's good writing. Good Downright pithy. <laughs> but you know, like three weeks I ago. I kill you tonight. <laughs> so true. That staccato beat of that, yeah. that syntax. It's like slam, it's like slam poetry. Yeah. I kill you. I, no, no. I. Tonight. Wait, dear, wait, wait, Maher. Dear baby. baby. <laughs> so. That was magical. We went to. We went to <laughs> We went to Governor's Island for some festival for, for like the poetry festival over the summer. And we basically went and we were watching all these poets like reading their work out loud. And we realized there's like always this way that poets read Rhythm. their work, which was oh, like, we've talked about this on this mm-hmm. podcast before. And it's I always so. like, you know, like the, the, the veggie I chips. went to get <laughs> some veggie chips. Yeah. And they were so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. literally. They were so and good. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> except like sadder than that. That I was kind of sultry. Like, <laughs> like you have that slight no, downward tone. Yeah, yeah. Like, of the end of each thought, because it's and very when, rife. And, and when real. you think my brain says to me, "That is who." you know <laughs> <laughs> that is who you know like, like you can like make a poem on the go like, meanwhile like we also had this thing where we got so basically when we kind of got bored of like i kind of want to just poet, like do we, poems we, like yeah we sat we did that no, for three hours that day three hours we sat on this swing set and there was this baby that, that got handed to yeah me. that got handed to her it was like a very like hippie because of the poems community no 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 moment. the oh. baby's father yeah there were he two was swings. just like um my baby, baby really wants to come on the swing and he just sort of like the baby obviously couldn't sit like, on the swing alone because he's small. And we weren't getting off because we we deserved to be on the swing more yeah. than the Because we've traveled all the way to Governor's Island. <laughs> and this dad just like, here, take my baby. Uh-huh. And he gives me his baby. <laughs> I was too awkward. I, I get very awkward so around holding the baby. Was his dad going to the poetry thing yeah he was hanging out he yeah, was doing his with thing. his baby drinking okay. beer you know and he gave us the baby he gave me the baby and i <laughs> held on to the baby and we ended up doing this this thing of being like dear baby and we were like dear baby sometimes did he hear it you no. will go to a poetry festival but there will not be poetry but just disappointment festival, <laughs> festival. and you i will hand you to a girl on the swing and that will be the story of your life. Dear baby, think about that moment every time you think about me, how I gave you away for the love of life. Dear baby, sometimes <laughs> birth will feel a lot like living, constantly little births in this downward motion until death. Dear baby, Maybe your age saves you from this life of man. You, you, you want to hear something really funny? There's a framed poem on my parent in my parents' bedroom that says "Dear Baby." No, it's called "Flower Baby," and I wrote it when I was ten wait, years wait, old. Wait, okay, Flower Baby. Flower Baby, on the wall, there is a corner geometrically. Why do you sound like you're 70 yeah. years old? Geometrically, there's a corner. That's my flower that's, baby. That's my, that's my grandma's ex, my bubby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to close it on that. I would keep doing that, though. That was really fun. We should have a whole episode where we just do <laughs> Just a bonus episode of Dear Baby. 
That was awesome. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Animal Riot Press or Facebook and Instagram under the same name or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the ninth episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Meher Manda and Chelsea Asher. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. <laughs> well, thanks for having us on this podcast. Thanks for bringing Dear Baby to the masses. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Belly.